Welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a little bit of the Sundance Film Festival to you. We discuss two movies that played at Sundance along with one non-Sundance film, plus a few other fun things thrown in along the way. Today we're discussing Coda, Paddleton, and 2021's Mortal Kombat. I'm Jessica. And I'm Dylan. Jessica, with our new schedule, I have a backlog of movies that I want to talk about. So, more than usual, I've had trouble narrowing down what exactly I want to discuss with you, but I'll try to be brief. I watched this crazy-ass movie called Perdita Durango from this Spanish director. His name is Alex de la Iglesia, and it stars Rosie Perez and a very unhinged Javier Bardem. It's from 1997, I believe, and the closest in tone that I can get it to is From Dust Till Dawn, but it's a little more grounded in reality than From Dust Till Dawn, but more brutal. It's very kinetic, and it's a wild-ass movie. It's Rosie Perez plays this lady. She's a very forthright lady who's going through some stuff. She just recently lost her sister and her two nieces, and she likes to make people uncomfortable. And she has this boyfriend played by Javier Bardem who is into Santeria, and he uses it to grift rich Americans by, like, seeing some of the crazy Mexican religion stuff down below the border. Like, look at the crazy stuff they do. He drinks blood and he, like, performs human sacrifices and everything. But he ain't got no crystal ball. (laughs) He does not. Just a vat of blood. There's a whole subplot involving him needing to steal fetuses for this guy who wants to use them for cosmetics. But setting that aside for a second, the main plot is just involves these two wild characters kidnapping these two young American kids for a ritual sacrifice and just the crazy places that goes. It's very brutal, but it's very darkly comedic at times. There are moments that are reminiscent of, like, Rob Zombie's Dracula video, and it's a really interesting time. I recommend it to people who are not squeamish. It's probably one of my favorite Javier Bardem performances I've seen. He has, like, this long, almost mullet. It's some wild stuff. That's all. I now keep saying it's wild, but really, it's one of the more out-there movies I've seen in a while. That was just recently put out by Severin in a new 4K blu-ray and it is excellent so people who are interested that is highly recommended but something in a more wholesome vein that we actually watched together is da pennebaker's documentary original cast album company which the criterion collection recently put out and i really enjoyed this documentary probably most because now i get to see all of the funny aspects that are parodied in the documentary now episode co-op but the original documentary itself is very entertaining. Mm-hmm. It involves the original recording of the Stephen Sondheim plays original cast album and all of the drama behind the scenes of trying to get that correct. And it's very, very funny. <laughs> yeah, it's a short watch too. Yeah. But mostly I see why Documentary Now did it because it's really funny. <laughs> 
Yeah. On its own. It's a classic documentary. I highly recommend it. You don't even have to like show tunes and stuff to appreciate this. It's just like a high stakes drama exercise. And then I watched this really great Korean drama called Joint Security Area by Park Chan-wook, who did Old Boy and The Handmaiden. It's like his third film, but his first to get kind of more international acclaim and works in more of the style that he's known for. It's revolved around a conflict in the border of North and South Korea, the DMZ, and a murder that happens within that zone and the investigation that goes into that. And it's very tense at times, but it's also very enlightening and it makes you understand, it's like shines a portrait on humanity in a way, like how people on both sides probably don't really want the divide, but it's more just political machinations keeping these two sides divided. One of the stars is Song Kang-ho from Parasite and he's very good in this role and that new Blu-ray from Arrow Video is really great and I'm glad they put it out because it probably wouldn't have been on my radar otherwise but it's a very strong drama and it as I mentioned to you it's one of those almost throwback dramas that you crave like A Few Good Men or Courage Under Fire of just like a solid adult drama like procedural drama investigating one specific incident. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend that. You're telling me that Old Boy didn't get international acclaim? This was before Old Boy. Okay. So yeah, Old Boy really put him on the map. And if you ask an average person who would know who Park Chan-wook is, what they best know him for would probably be Old Boy. But this was just a little bit before and kind of started getting him that buzz of just like, oh, we should probably pay attention to this guy. He's pretty dope. I still need to show you Old Boy. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I've been looking forward to watching it. Yeah. Before the remake. Yeah. Which, I mean, I love Spike Lee, but I don't have the highest hopes for that one. Mm -hmm. The last film I want to discuss is also one that I watched with you that I was pleasantly surprised by. I haven't talked to you to know if you were also pleasantly surprised by it, but that is the comedy One Crazy Summer from Savage Steve Holland, starring John Cusack, Demi Moore, and Bobcat Goldwaite. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. And this was recently put out by the Warner Archive. And I mean, I know a lot of 80s comedies, but for some reason this wasn't on my radar, so I didn't have a lot of expectations for it. But it took a tone that I was not expecting. It was more almost in line with kind of like an airplane tone, of just like outrageous, bizarre comedy beats. It was like more of a satire of an 80s comedy than like a straightforward 80s comedy and I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I also really like John Cusack and he's done a lot of stuff in the past that people have no idea about because he did so many random movies like that. So it is one that I haven't seen yet but I haven't seen a lot of his stuff because there's so much. I enjoyed it because it actually wasn't gross and I thought it was just going to be gross and like sex driven Mm -hmm. but it wasn't and that was a nice change of pace. It was very refreshing. Yeah, it just had like really funny gags like whenever Bobcat Goldwaite gave a kid a kite to hang on to and it just like floated off with the kid into the air yeah 
I guess it reminds me of something, but I can't think of what it is that's from, like, the 80s. That's not Airplane. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't like Airplane that much, so... Yeah, I mean, we rewatched or I rewatched Airplane. You watched it for the first time last year. Mm-hmm. And it didn't hold up as much for me as it did when I was younger. And now I would say I enjoyed this more than that. Yeah. But I enjoy that type of comedy. It still makes me laugh. Yeah, this one, the comedy wasn't too much like Airplane. It was the right amount. Yeah, it was more of a subtle satire than like really over the top. I highly recommend that to anyone who wants to watch an 80s comedy but doesn't want just like a standard one. Are you ready now to dance? Shall we Sundance? I think we shall. Family? Yeah. yeah. I just want to tell you right now. And you sing. Interesting. Something's got a hold on me here. What are you doing next year? Working with my family. Let me tell you now. I've got a feeling. I feel so strange. Everything about me seems to have changed. Coda had its world premiere at Sundance 2021 where it won the Grand Jury Prize, Audience Award, Directing Award, and U.S. Dramatic Special Jury Award for Best Ensemble. It was written and directed by Sean Hader. It stars Amelia Jones, Marley Matlin, Troy Kotzer, and Daniel Durant. 17-year-old Ruby is the only hearing member of her family. Her parents Frank and Jackie and older brother Leo are culturally deaf. Ruby's life revolves around acting as an interpreter for her parents and working on the family's struggling fishing boat every day before school with her father and older brother. She even plans to join it full-time after finishing high school. Ruby joins her school choir, run by Mr. V. He nurtures Ruby's passion and love for music and singing and encourages her to apply to the prestigious school, Berklee College of Music. He promises to devote his time to help her with her audition. Ruby then finds herself torn between the obligation she feels to her family and the pursuit of her own dreams. I quite enjoyed this movie. I really, I loved it. I thought it was really beautiful and it had me welling up with tears quite a bit. So if you want to feel something other than just being dead inside, this is a good movie to watch. It's a good sales pitch. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The story is just really lovely and the cast is superb. I love Marley Matlin. I think she's cool as hell. I love whenever she's in anything. I read her book whenever I was a freshman or sophomore in college, and I quite enjoyed it. I was reading some reviews earlier this week, and apparently there were some people that didn't enjoy it as much because they said that it was, like, all over the place, and she's not as good a writer as an actor or whatever, but I think it's pretty great. Are you talking about her biography? Yeah, her autobiography. Uh, Autobiography, okay. Memoir. Yeah. I quite enjoyed it, and I think they were just saying that it seemed more like she was ranting or something, but whatever, those people are whack. But yeah, I really enjoyed her performance in the movie, and the rest of the cast was really good. I think a lot of times they even outshined her at points just because they had more to do and Troy Kotzer who plays Ruby's dad Frank he was really excellent and he had a lot of pivotal more meaty parts in the movie than Marley did 
But Marley did do an excellent job. Mm -hmm. And I just loved her character of just being kind of like just silly. And it's not like she was frivolous or anything, but it's just she had more comedic moments, I guess, because the both parents did. Yeah. And I liked whenever her husband, Frank, would just say things to her like, can you, you see this? She's so hot. What am I supposed to do? And she would just have like this smirk like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> I like those moments. Yeah. <laughs> but she did have nice scenes with Ruby's character. Mm -hmm. Nice dramatic moments, I guess. And I, of course, love the music and hearing people sing is always really nice. And Amelia's voice is very nice <laughs> to listen to. I like the play on words of the title because coda and music is like the end of a section of music or whatever, like a conclusion. And then coda in the deaf community is child of deaf adults. Yeah. So Ruby is a coda. I like the cleverness in the title. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a really great movie. It's really touching. Yeah, I had sky-high expectations for this movie coming out of Sundance just because it won all of the awards, and that was pretty much the film that everyone had decided, like, this is the great one to come out of Sundance this year. And if I would have attended Sundance at the time, I think some people were upset that it wasn't a more spread the love kind of thing d during the awards ceremony, since it just kept being mm -hmm. given to this. But judging this apart from its award success at Sundance, I thought this was a really great movie, and it pretty much lived up to what I wanted it to be, even with the sky-high expectations. I mean, I will admit it is a pretty typical crowd pleaser as far as like Sundance is concerned but we don't get as much as us as I want so I don't care it hits the beats that I wanted to hit in a way that is like more of a unique telling of this story like a point of view that we don't often get so if it's more conventionally told I don't care it's fun I need this in my life I loved it so yeah how it's like wrapped up neatly yeah I mean all of the biggest Sundance titles, like Little Miss Sunshine and Garden State or whatever, like, those are the types of movies that, yeah, they're crowd pleasers. Yeah, but I think uh, Little Miss Sunshine is different. It's a crowd pleaser. They could have gone in a different way to make it, like, woo. Yeah, it could have been. Unrealistic or whatever. Yeah. I mean, even this I don't think is unrealistic, really. I mean, there are elements that you could say that it winds up happier than it probably is would be in real life but yeah. I don't think it's wildly unrealistic no but it's just the ending is like of course yeah it's a, a neat bow yeah so I mean this isn't a perfect film but it's one that does the soul well and like you said the cast is pretty great I of course really like Troy Kotzer I had heard a lot of buzz about Marley coming out of the festival and she does a really good job like you said but Troy I think is a real discovery because there are some moments near the end of this movie that devastated me and I just like was gently weeping on my side of the couch so I really appreciated being able to feel that level of emotion and they were both just really funny comedic people I really appreciated the early scene at the doctor whenever she was having to interpret for their medical issues and just how he was describing things uh, like his issues that he was having to Ruby to translate and how she would just kind of clean it up for him and just say it in a way 
way that wasn't embarrassing, mm-hmm. I thought was a really great scene. But it also just adds on to the narrative of how she has had to spend her whole life interpreting for them and how she has all of this pressure on her to be that person for them because they don't have money for like an interpreter to follow them around and then most people aren't going to take the time to learn sign language so it's a very alienating experience it broke my heart a lot because ruby never got to be a kid she's Mm -hmm. always been working her entire life yeah and then of course the times where she does try to be more selfish seems like a bad word but like more taking care of herself and like doing things that she wants to do of course it backfires on the family yeah i mean she's had the weight of her family's success and prosperity on her shoulders her entire life even whenever she was a kid Mm -hmm. which she shouldn't have had they shouldn't have put that on her yeah but it's like she has the unique ability to hear in the family so they are going to lean on her for that yeah but they're the parents and they shouldn't have done that they shouldn't have made her work and put that on her shoulders because no child deserves that like her choir partner was Mm -hmm. telling her i saw you whenever we were in third grade you're like ordering a beer for them at the restaurant she's a child and they shouldn't have put that on her yeah i mean i agree they shouldn't do that but i understand that in the position that they were in that they would do that even though it's not healthy yeah but if they would have just talked to her more and talked to each other more and just figured something out just like her dad said at one point she's never been your baby because she's never been a baby yeah (laughs) she's just been their interpreter so i get why she's always feeling like it's always the three of you because it's like she doesn't even feel like part of the family she's just working for them and she's like a live-in interpreter yeah so it's pretty sad in that aspect it does a good job in showing the challenges of growing up as the coda mm-hmm. and then also just being deaf in the community how mm-hmm. people don't know sign language and everything which i think that it should just be taught at schools like elementary school mm-hmm. i think it should just be one of those things that should just be taught and offered i remember being taught it in school like the alphabet but it wasn't something that was drilled into it it was like a day it's like look at this thing and then you just left it behind and I'm just like okay I'm not gonna remember that so yeah I think I kind of remember being introduced to it that way maybe and then like we did the whole or I think our class and then other classes did the sign language songs where you perform the songs oh yeah that's mostly all I remember and we would usually have interpreters at schools like every school that I've been to I've seen at least one interpreter Mm -hmm. during assemblies and stuff doing things so I know that there are deaf kids at my school, but it's not like, hey, you should learn this. <laughs> yeah. I've always wanted to learn, but I've never taken the time to because I, I want to learn more languages. Yeah. I just think back and I've watched a lot of deaf content over the years and Sound of Metal was great last year, but I also, I watched the entire series of Switched at Birth. Mm-hmm. So I saw Marley a lot on that one. While you have your fondness for Marley from her memoir, Yeah, and Seinfeld. Yeah. And now West Wing. West Wing, yeah. I've seen her the most from Switch to Birth, which I really liked her on that. And anytime she's ever popped up and stuff, I've really enjoyed her. I think this is just another in a long line of good properties that give the audience some insight into how deaf people experience the world. I can think of at least two scenes in this film where it kind of shows at one point 
Leo is experiencing while he's trying to hang out with people at a bar and keep up. And then also at the end with the Frank dad character and how he's experiencing Ruby's concert. And both are very, they hit you hard because there's nothing that can really be done about it. It's just the facts of life, but it's also very heartbreaking that they are having to miss out on this aspect of life and that people aren't meeting them in a way that can connect them with everyone else. So it's just, it feels very alienating and lonely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I told you while we were watching whenever they're at the concert, mm-hmm. I was like, why don't they have an interpreter there? Because they know that Ruby is there and they know that her parents and her brother are deaf. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, what is wrong with that school? They needed to have an interpreter, but they didn't. And it was just wild because the schools that I've been at, like I said, they have interpreters because they know that they have deaf kids or deaf families. So I'm just like, what were they thinking? Yeah. If I was in that crowd, I wouldn't think that there was something off that there wasn't an interpreter there except knowing that Ruby's family was there now. Yeah, just watching the movie and you know. The school should accommodate. Yeah, because the school knows, like the entire school knows. It just blows my mind that they didn't hire an interpreter. Yeah, whenever it's getting started and they're like, oh, everyone's laughing, like he made a joke and they don't know what it is. Yeah, that would have been another way that they could have enjoyed it, just seeing the lyrics of the song Mm -hmm. and then just knowing who's coming up next, what's happening next. Yeah. And said so they're just having to sit there and take in what everyone else is experiencing. And then yeah. they also kind of get distracted because they're not really able to take it in. So they just start having their own side conversations. And- yeah. And then whenever a scene does inevitably happen where a song is being interpreted, it's very beautiful. And Yeah, whenever that scene happens, mm-hmm. it's really moving. And it made me well up a lot and it made me want to cry. But it also gave me like flashbacks to the school things. Like you doing stuff? Yeah, like corny stuff. And also like Napoleon Dynamite. There's a part of me that was like kind of amused. And then there's the part of me that was just like, this is beautiful. I don't think that we did the sign language interpretations (laughs) to a song like you did. We did. Going back to Marley Matlin, I know we said that she was kind of outshined by some of the other side characters, but I did think she did a very good job. Can I say one thing? Yeah. I don't know if it's like outshone or outshined and it bothers me. I can't figure it out. So apologies before if it is outshone and I said outshined. I don't know. Continue. (laughs) Okay. So she did do a very good job. But her character, as much as she had a lot of funny moments, I was very frustrated by her a lot of the times just because of the way she treated Ruby in that it seemed like she was putting her own baggage on her and trying to alienate her from the hearing world because Marley Matlin's character of Jackie, like she's felt alienated from the world all of her life and she even just refers to women as like those hearing bitches and stuff. Mm -hmm. So seeing Ruby trying to have something for herself and find something that she loves and just having Jackie dismiss it and telling her, I can't enjoy what you're trying to do, so you shouldn't do that. It just was like twisting a knife. I was just like, no, don't act this way. Like you should want your daughter to do something that she enjoys doing and not just do something for you to enjoy, like to get enjoyment from her enjoyment. Her enjoyment in doing it should be enough for you. Yeah, it seemed very immature of Jackie to be doing. It's a bummer. Yeah, and it's a journey. So things don't have to necessarily stay that way, but just certain moments I was just like, you're not being 
the best mother right now. Mm-hmm. I also have to give a shout out to all of the side characters. I did not realize that uh, Verdia Walsh Pilo was in this, who was in Sing Street. So as soon as I saw it, I was like, okay, you got Dude from Sing Street, and it's a movie about music. I'm like, Jessica, probably gonna love this because she loves Sing Street. Yeah, I did enjoy that very much. Yeah, back at it again at Sundance with a music based film. Damn, Sundance! <laughs> Back at it again with the music films. <laughs> and I'd seen uh, Eugenio Derbez in other projects before. I'm pretty sure I'd watched at least one sitcom with him. He was really great in this. I really liked him as Mr. V, her teacher, and just like yeah. his dynamic with her. And yes, it's a standard mentor role. Like, I'm going to make you the best version of yourself. I'm going to help you. But it's good. I like it. And he did a very good job with it. Yeah. The guy from Sing Street didn't really sing that much though he, he wasn't featured too much yeah and the dynamic between him his character of miles and ruby yeah it's cool that they like were finding young love and everything if it hadn't been in there, it would have been fine. Yeah, I like that it wasn't heavily featured. No, it was just more of like a, a supplementary thing. Because it's just like, her happiness depends on getting this boy to like her. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about that, which was good. <laughs> yeah. All around, a very, very strong movie. It lives up to the hype, at least for me. Yeah, I would agree. Oh, good for you! And how was it? So let's make it official. Hit me with that rating system. My rating system is Boiled Lobster Claw. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and I would give this movie, I want to say five, but then I also might think maybe four and a half, just because of not as much Marley in it that mm. I would want. So maybe I'll go with four and a half Boiled Lobster Claws out of five. <laughs> one angry lobster claw. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was more so leaning towards. Five out of five seems quite an endorsement. So I'll go with four and a half because any movie that makes me cry twice, it's doing something right. If you want to see how this movie makes you feel, it is currently available in select theaters, but more widely available on Apple TV+. Plus. All right, listen, how about this? How about I'm going to make a statement? And if it's a true statement, then you don't have to correct me. Is what Michael has incurable? Yeah, that's a question. You gotta, it has to be a statement. It has to be a statement. statement, And then the truth. So my statement is what Michael has is incurable. That's it. So I'm thinking before it gets bad, I wanna end it. I don't wanna change things, you know? I wanna make some pizzas, I wanna play some Paddleton. They got a whole process that they give you these pills you can take, but I don't want to do it alone, and I was hoping you'd help me out. Paddleton premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2019. It is directed by Alex Lehman, and it stars Mark Duplass and Ray Romano. An unlikely bromance between two misfit neighbors becomes an unexpectedly emotional journey when one of them is diagnosed with terminal cancer. Suddenly facing their mortality, the two bros, who spend their free time playing a game they made up called Paddleton, decide to go on a trip, yet their literal journey turns into a metaphorical one as their experiences reveal the true bond of friendship and what that means between the two men who use humor to avoid expressing any real emotion. 
I'd been looking forward to this one for a while, and I'm glad we finally took the chance to watch this, because I thought it was lovely. It has like a dry sense of humor that I really appreciated, and it seems like <laughs> that's kind of what Mark Duplass does a lot in his films, mm-hmm. and I'm always down for it. I think he's a, a really funny actor and like a really great writer. Mm-hmm. This could have been more over-the-top or silly, but I think it's just a really good showcase for these two performers to really delve into material that it's more subtle, but very emotionally impactful. I think both are doing some of their best work that they've done, and it's just a really good portrait of a male friendship. Yeah, I was really excited for this movie, and I enjoyed it. It maybe let me down just slightly, but I still thought it was really good. It reminds me a lot of the movie 50-50, but bleaker. Yeah. It's a lot more bleak, and I think the story is shorter. It's really concise, and then 50-50 is more of, like, a bigger journey because it's like his dealing with cancer and then his relationships with people and treatment. I guess this one just has more of like a darker edge to it Mm -hmm. and it's like a performance I don't think I've really seen from Ray Romano before. It was really really vulnerable and subtle and just human. I don't think I've ever seen him like that. It was really good. I like their friendship. It's really sad. Both of them loving each other so much and it's like all they have because they just kind of built their worlds around each other. Mm -hmm. How they're still older men so they're from that generation where it's more not really expressing their feelings as much and kind of emotionally constipated at times. Yeah. So they don't know how to tell each other things, like how much they love each other. But it's more so doing things for each other and spending time with one another. But yeah, it's a very good depiction of how that can go, I think. Yeah, and then there's the added layer of the Mark Duplass character of Michael. He also has his defenses up because he doesn't want to be treated differently with his diagnosis. And he doesn't want to have to ask for help. He kind of just wants to like fade away and just like not upend his life in any meaningful way. He's like, I just want to watch Kung Fu movies with you. I want to play Paddleton. Yeah, he doesn't want to think about it until it's just over. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have to really sit in it, I think. And he's more stoic. They both are. I like the look that he gets on his face as he can tell that Andy, the Ray Romano character, he's trying to figure out how to be a friend to him and how to support him. And I would say that this movie is probably more so about Andy than it is Michael. I mean, it's pretty even, but it's more about how Andy, he's not like the most approachable character, I guess. Like he doesn't let people in. I like that there's these subtle moments of characterization throughout the movie, like near the end, whenever Andy describes the first time he saw Michael and just like his initial impression of him, but how they like became friends from that. And yeah, what whenever he was talking and saying how whenever Michael moved in and what yeah. he thought, it reminded me of you because uh, it's something that you would say. Like that I didn't like you at first. Yeah, or he's like, I didn't like you. I didn't like your look. Yeah, he's like you didn't. I didn't like the look of you. I didn't like you. Is this because <laughs> my my best friend Ish? How when he was in high school, I took one look at him yeah. over the years. I guess I saw him over the years, just walking around in his army jacket, <laughs> just walking around. I knew nothing about this kid, and I was just like, I don't like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I just, basically the whole high school career, I would just see him just walking around and just not like his look. Yeah. And then second semester, senior year, <laughs> we were in the same theater class and I was forced to interact with him and boom, it's been my best friend for over a decade. Yeah, that's why it reminded me of you yeah. because it's something that you would do where you're just like, I don't like him. No. <laughs> yeah. Note to the audience, I do make snap judgments on people. <laughs> yeah. But I'll reevaluate if necessary. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just a very, uh, I'm a visual person. Like, I just, I get things I just, in my head. Yes. And... I hear these things all the time where you're like, usually whenever we're watching something, you're like, I didn't like that character. I didn't like the face that she made. <laughs> made me turn off. I don't trust her. Yeah. Or it's just like, a dude's too tall. I yeah. don't like it. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is a thing. I'm a fairly tall person. I'm right around 6'3". So anyone who's taller than me... <laughs> I inherently do not trust because it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. People should not be that tall. So it's a little background information on me. Also, we're just going to name things that make me uncomfortable. Two extremely blonde people (laughs) should not be together. I do not think it is natural. But blonde is a recessive gene, so it's keeping the blondes alive. No, doesn't need to have... I mean, just, like, extremely blonde people. Like, dude with extremely blonde hair, girl with extremely blonde hair, two dudes with extremely blonde hair. Any combination, it doesn't matter. Too much blonde in one little party. Do not like it. You're, like, sounding like reverse Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're too pure for me. I do not like it. Uh, I understand this character of Andy and his snap judgment with Michael. I also like that he did let him in. And throughout his friendship with Michael, he's learned how to bond with someone. But now he's losing that person. So he's like trying to find a way to open himself up to people and know that he won't be alone once Michael is no longer with him. Uh, it's very heartbreaking but also Ray does such a good job with it and just like his little moments like he's such an awkward character mm-hmm. but like you can tell he has a good heart he just doesn't know how to interact with people and stuff I can relate to just finding your person that you really love and then you connect with them and you hold on to them mm-hmm. and you're like this is my person you're my person mm-hmm. and then if you have to lose them you're kind of lost and you have to start over you don't know what to do mm-hmm. so I relate to that yeah their whole dynamic is pretty relatable to me they have their little rituals of just like okay yeah like you come over we have our pizza like you bring the pizza and we'll warm it up we'll watch these old kung fu flicks and we'll mouth along to the words and yeah they're like an old married couple yeah and then they like yell because he's his upstairs neighbor so they'll just yell at each other from their paper thin walls like mm-hmm. good night yeah uh, it's endearing but also a little bit codependent. Yeah, very much so. I don't think it's toxic. I just think they need to, like, branch out... Not everyone wants to be connected to the world. Yeah. It depends on the person, I guess. I don't want to be one of the people who's like, you need to make more friends because it depends on the person. Whatever works for you. Yeah. I didn't know that there could be a prescribed drug to help you die. That's basically... Like assisted suicide? Yeah, that's basically physician-assisted suicide, and I didn't know that that was legal. Mm -hmm. So that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. The point of their trip is to go get this medication from out 
of town that will allow him whenever the time comes to end his life by overdosing I guess or I don't know what the medication is yeah because they snap open like a hundred pills or something and into a drink and it's supposed to transition him away from life yeah I mean it's probably something that is less painful than if you're just gonna overdose on pills like any kind of pill yeah like a hundred ibuprofen or something yeah I think it's a gentler way mm-hmm. but I had no idea that was legal yeah so. whenever they were doing that I was just like oh that's strange but I guess it's legal somehow yeah in some states I think yeah. but then it was just like up to the pharmacy's discretion if they wanted to fill the prescription because the pharmacy closest to them wouldn't and that's why they had to make that trip oh yeah so I guess they can do whatever but the doctor can prescribe it mm-hmm. and I like how this medication that Michael is going to take like quote-unquote when the time is right becomes such a point of fixation for Andy because he doesn't want to lose his friend and he goes as far as trying to keep the medication from him but not like in a confrontational manner he's kind of more trying to be almost willfully obtuse about it just like oh no I'll I'll keep this safe you can keep it it probably is more convenient to keep it at my house because like what if your house floods and you don't want to get away it's just like you know he doesn't want to lose his friend as soon as they get the medication he's just like what if he does it while I'm taking a shower what if he does it yeah he's afraid that he's just gonna do it randomly and without any notice or warning and he wants to extend the time that he has left with him I think yeah if he's the keeper of the medication he can just be like no are you are you sure you're ready now maybe we should wait yeah just watching that process your heart breaks for them because you can understand both of their points of view like you want to hold on to your people as long as you can but then also as Michael if he starts getting to a point where he's feeling that his life gets too painful to live basically and that he wants to go out while he still feels good enough about his situation then it's his decision this film opens up a lot of moral questions of like what would you do and how would you react in similar situations yeah in that way while I was watching it made me feel uncomfortable just because having to face your own mortality yeah it's rough. Yeah, so it, it made me a little squeamish. Yeah, if you're in any way close to this type of situation in your real life at this point, or like recently went through it, it might be like a really tough watch. Yeah. So I guess that's a, a trigger warning for anyone. Yeah. It is a really good movie, and it's well written and very well acted. I thoroughly enjoyed the performances. Pretty good. It's pretty, 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 pretty good. What is your rating system? I'm going to have to go with hot tubs. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So I think I would soak in four hot tubs out of five. Mm. Rest my bones. (laughs) (laughs) Better watch your junk, man. I think I would soak in, I'm going to say three and a half hot tubs out of five. It's pretty solid. I didn't go into the whole hot tub thing that I was thinking while watching the movie. (laughs) Maybe that's for another day. Yeah. That's for our separate uh, hot tub podcast. You can just just let loose there. (laughs) You can have a good soak. If you, too, want to experience the continued ascension of Ray Romano post Everybody Loves Raymond, which I'm totally here for, yeah, you can find Paddleton streaming exclusively on Netflix. First learned about this seven years ago on a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds.
The target has superhuman abilities. It had the same marking you do, Cole. It's a birthmark. What do you mean? He was born with it. It's not a birthmark, Cole. It means you've been chosen. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Tussie! <laughs> was released in 2021. It was written by Greg Russo and David Callahan and directed by Simon McWood. It stars Louis Tan, Jessica McNamee, Josh Lawson, Makad Brooks, Joe Taslam, Tadana Buasano and Ludi Lin. MMA fighter Cole Young, accustomed to taking a beating for money, is unaware of his heritage or why Outworld's emperor Shang Tsung has sent his best warrior Sub-Zero, an otherworldly cryomancer, to hunt Cole down. Fearing for his family's safety, Cole goes in search of Sonya Blade at the direction of Jax, a special forces major who bears the same strange dragon marking Cole was born with. Soon he finds himself at the temple of Lord Raiden, an elder god and the protector of Earthrealm, who grants sanctuary to those who bear the mark. Here Cole trains with experienced warriors Liu Kang, Kung Lao, and rogue mercenary Kano as he prepares to stand with Earth's greatest champions against the enemies of Outworld in a high-stakes battle for the universe. But will Cole be pushed hard enough to unlock his arcana? the immense power from within his soul in time to save not only his family, but to stop Outworld once and for all. Round one, fight. This movie was okay. It got more interesting for me whenever they actually started fighting. And that's a shame because that's like the last 30 minutes of the movie, I think. So the first half of it is kind of boring and I couldn't really get into it that much. I don't know. I guess just like their backstories or whatever is just like, okay. I couldn't really care, I guess. The fighting part is more interesting, I think. And I think they could have done it in a better way where just how they got to that point battling for the universe, they could have made it more interesting and more enthralling. And I don't know, I think like watching Mortal Kombat properties, I think it's just better left as a cartoon. Like a video game? No, or, just like... Oh, like whenever... Yeah. Okay, I get you. Like the... The, the one we watched. Yeah, whenever year. they're just... They made it a cartoon. Yeah. I think it's just better that way. I don't know if live action really works for me. Just because this movie isn't even like super gory. It's violent, but it's not like violent violent because the violence is fake. So it's like campy. The violence isn't saw violence, you know, where it's more like the blood looks real and the effects aren't just crazy like flying into a saw hat. Yeah, it's digital violence. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like, ugh. I can't handle this. It's just like, okay, it looks like a video game, I guess. Yeah, I guess the closest it comes to that, and even still, it's not... And this isn't a spoiler for anyone who knows the character, but I think, like, whenever Jax gets his arms ripped off, that looks slightly more... Yeah, even that wasn't... I know, it's still very digital. Whenever, um, I guess I can't say that because it would be a spoiler, but whenever something dies and intestines fall out, I think that looked the most realistic for me. I can't really get into it, I don't know. It was fine. 
fine just to pass the time, but I, I didn't love it. <laughs> I think I would rather just watch cartoon movies if they're going to do that. Yeah, they have a new one coming out this coming week as of this recording that I'll be reviewing. And I figure that they're probably going to make a sequel to this. They're going to try, so... Most likely. Because they got to get Johnny Cage in there and because he's a crowd pleaser for some reason. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> it's not even like the acting was bad or anything. It's just, I don't know, the effects and the story wasn't interesting for me. Yeah. My relationship with the film properties, I really love the first Mortal Kombat movie. I think it's a lot of fun, even though it's like cheesy, but it's like a good cheesy and none of those actors are winning awards really, but <laughs> it's a fun time. And even the practical Goro effects, I think, are way better than the Goro we got here because mm-hmm. it feels real to that world. And this is just kind of like a big CGI creation that's just like, okay, that's fine. But I got more from the puppetry of Goro in the first one. And yeah. He seemed to have actually have a personality, and as he was, like, eating all of his food messily with all his arms in the first one, and... I've never seen it all. Really? Yeah, I've never seen all of it because I wasn't allowed to watch that whenever it came out, and then I just never really gained access to it. I've seen, like, pieces of it, and I've heard the song, of course, yeah. but I never really had interest to go watch it because I thought that it would freak me out, but then as I got older, I just, whenever I was like, yeah, I can totally watch this, I didn't have access to it. That's so weird. Because it's a PG-13 movie, so I don't know why they wouldn't let you watch it. Uh, My parents, I'm surprised that they let us play the video game because we had Mortal Kombat 2 on Super Nintendo and we played it all the time. And I do not think that my mom knew what it was whenever Chris got it. And we played it and it's not like she was watching us play it. So I don't think that she knew. But then you see previews and stuff. I mean, that movie came out. When did it come out? Uh, 95? Yeah, I was not allowed to see that. I was five years old. Yeah, okay. But I want to watch that. As I was watching this one, I was like, I wish that I could see the 90s one. It's so much better, in my opinion, even though it's a lot more tame. Like, it's very, I'm not sure if there's any blood in it. Hmm. I feel it's more true to the characters. Like you said, the acting isn't necessarily the problem in this one. It's the script. But you'll probably watch the 90s version and be like, yeah, it's pretty good. (laughs) Better than the new one. But the way they handle the characters and the story, I just think it works better as an actual tournament of we're getting these people here to, like, participate in fights. That's what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, rather than (laughs) they don't even get to the Mortal Kombat in this film. I don't even think that's a spoiler alert. No, I don't think so. Because they're trying to ground this in a mythology of there's a chosen person and you have this mark on your body that shows that you're chosen I'm like okay that's alright but the character that we choose to follow this Cole he's not super interesting the most interesting part is his potential lineage and him as a character he's fine but he's just kind of bland but he's also just kind of like a lot of the characters I think that we'll talk about in a second who are just their personalities are more bland so they don't lend themselves to like an epic Mortal Kombat story It's just like, okay, this is who you're making us follow, and he's fine. Like, (laughs) he's just... The opening scene, I think, was pretty well done, because it's showing the origin of the Sub-Zero-Scorpion feud before Scorpion was Scorpion, and... Mm. 
had like the attack on his family and everything. I think that was like a good start. And then we go to more of the modern day stuff with Cole, which isn't as interesting. And then we're just saddled with characters that aren't super interesting at first. And then we slowly get to some more interesting characters. Because even Jax, I never really cared for that much because mm-hmm. he's just a guy with metal arms. And I'm just like, all right, that's fine. Yeah. And... <laughs> This is a very unrealistic movie because of just, it's by virtue of the story. But they did things within it that I did not like. There was at least two points that I can remember where a character's powers manifested just in the nick of time of when they needed them to. And it's just like they willed them into existence. And I was just like, that shouldn't be how that works. Just, I need this right now. And maybe once is fine, but have two characters be like, I'm in desperate need of this and here's my powers and it's just like okay that's yeah but like the description says cole had to unlock the powers because he had to get in touch with his heritage yeah okay if that was the only time that's fine but like the stuff with jacks and him having his little baby metal arms and then it's just yeah, like that was weird okay now i have my full metal arms because i need it right now yeah that was weird how that happened because i kept thinking whenever they were like oh full metal arms full mm-hmm. oh metal jacket. I was just like, why didn't they show him that feature before? Whenever mm-hmm. they fixed him up? Yeah. Like, surely if you do this or whatever, here you go. Unless they were just like, you're not ready for it yet. You can't train with those yet. Yeah, just that stuff. I was just like, that's kind of lame. It's just like, I'm a little baby metal arms. Can yeah. lift this? And just like, no, but now I got it. Yeah, and then whenever they the fighting really started and he still had the baby metal arms, I was like, is this what his metal arms look like? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, That's a choice. I was just like, what? <laughs> Those things look like they can break. <laughs> it's just someone who could just bend spoons. They just yeah. go up and like boop. Just bend his arm. Okay. (laughs) So that was kind of ridiculous. Even Kano, he had some amusing things in this, but he wasn't nearly as dickish and funny as he was in the first movie. And I guess the reason I keep referencing the first movie is because after all these years, they should be doing something to elevate it from that spot. And it's just like they kind of reverted. The only thing that they elevated was the violence and... The effects. Yeah. So even that is just kind of like, okay, yeah, it's more violent and brutal, but that can only get you so far. And I did think some of the things were cool. There was a use of Kung Lao's signature hat that spins like a saw. That was used in a way that I was like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. But again, like the whole digital stuff. Yeah, it looks fake as hell. Yeah. But you just kind of roll with it. It's just strange that the effects were so bad. Yeah, I know this is more of like a low budget, big budget film. They didn't want to sink a ton of money into it because I okay, think that the, makes sense. I think the second sequel, Annihilation, which everyone hates, and I don't really remember that well, it didn't do well. So they're just like, we're not gonna give you a hundred million dollars to do this. We're gonna keep you on a tight leash, first time director, and <laughs> let you do this. I mean, I guess the argument can be made that it's like, well, it looks like the video game, and that's cool. Yeah, but it should be better. And you can also tell that there are other signs that this isn't the most well
well-funded production. It just kind of looks low rent in certain aspects. Yeah. But, I mean, it's fine. It just, it should be better for what it is. For what this property, like, how entertaining it can be. Yeah. And they have so many interesting characters. I think they just could have done better. They really focused on the origin story part mm-hmm. and making it the superhero format, like mm-hmm. the format for those movies. And they really uh, invested in, or just thought that people would really be interested in origin stories, but then they didn't really do a good job with the origin story part. I haven't kept up with the Mortal Kombat franchise super in-depth over the years. I know that there's some interesting dynamics that they could probably explore, but they just kind of stuck with this signature, like Shang Tsung is trying to mess with our realm. And Mm -hmm. And eat some souls, baby. Yeah, we do get a soul-eating, which the character it happens to, I was very bummed about. So the characters that they include in here, there are some really cool ones, and there are some deaths that you're like, oh, okay, and we're not gonna like go into people who died and stuff we're trying to avoid that but i think that some of the characters that they play with some of them surprised me i did not expect to see uh cabal in this and i was like he's pretty cool that's fun like (laughs) just him zipping around and Mm. appearing and reappearing and i think his design was good enough for like this world it kind of looked weird at first but i got used to it i was like okay this for this world it seems right (laughs) yeah he looked creepy to yeah. me. And then they had Melina without her little face covering. Just had her mm. nasty-ass mouth just out there for <laughs> everyone to see. What's wrong with your face? <laughs> just kind of bland. Yeah. Except for, like, the fighting at the end. Yeah, my expectations weren't up super high because I had heard that it wasn't great. Yeah. I think they could improve with the sequel. I think there are ways to improve. They need to really listen to the criticisms of this first film and apply it. Not got that. They probably won't, though. No, they They won't. I'm saying they should, though. Yeah, but I think for the second one, they're going to lean too heavily on Johnny Cage. Yeah. And it's going to be like, zinga, zinga, zinga. (laughs) The entire movie. So I guess this should go into it. Like, we were starting to talk about this yesterday, but I was like, maybe we should save this. Tell me some of your uh, favorite characters from the video game, or, like, okay. least favorite. I'll just give you a little background that... Tell it to me. My eldest brother, Chris, mm-hmm. he was master gamer, and... <laughs> He got Mortal Kombat. I don't think that we had the first one. I think we only played the second one. That's the one that I remember the most. And we played it all the time, and he would master it and figure out all the finishing moves. And I was thinking about this the other day. There was no internet and nothing to look up all the finishing moves. Mm -hmm. And people just had to sit there for hours and figure it out on their own Mm -hmm. and write them down. And that's what he did because he knew a lot of the moves. And he would beat me and my brother all the time, my other brother Michael. And he would just do that. And we'd be like, yay, and laugh. <laughs> but it was uh, it was a fun time. I really enjoyed the video game. And uh, yesterday I was just looking up videos on YouTube and just watching playthroughs of it. And it's very strange how such a violent game can make me feel so much peace almost. Yeah. Just watching it and just comfort and just being like, that was fun. Yeah. And just seeing the backgrounds, like the stages where they would fight and how familiar it was and just immediately it's like, yes I remember this like perfectly like it was yesterday I never liked Johnny Cage because he seemed bland as hell Mm -hmm. and I was just like why are you in this tournament you cannot do anything (laughs) 
<laughs> but I remember like as I watched the playthrough, I was like, oh yeah, he did that thing where he would kind of turn and it, it made the sound and it was like blue and it like shoot out of his hand or something. Oh yeah. And then Jax was never super exciting for me, but I really loved Raiden and Scorpion because I thought he was cool as hell. I love Sub-Zero because I thought he was cool. And I also really love Liu Kang because that bicycle kick was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and we always used to make jokes because whenever he would shoot his fireball in the game, he would lift his leg up <laughs> and like lean over. So we would say that he was farting. <laughs> it was fun. Classic kid joke. Yeah. <laughs> so I really liked that. And then I did like uh, some of the female characters a lot. They were fun. Mm-hmm. The one from the movie. Not Sonya. I mean, Sonya was okay, but the evil one. Melina? Yeah, and the one with the fans. Oh, yeah. She uh, was fun. I want to say Katana, but I could be wrong about I that. I think that's right. Okay. Yeah. I liked her. So, yeah, those are probably my favorite. I also like Reptile. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which he was in the film, but it's just kind of in a different form. He was? I'm pretty sure that's who they were fighting. Or is that Chameleon? The snake lizard thing that went into the house and was fighting Kano and Sonya. Well, I must have. Okay. I just zoned out. Yeah. I think I, I thought I remember that thing having wings or something. I don't know. It could have been not Reptile. I thought that was supposed to be Reptile, though. Mm. I don't know. I just liked how Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Reptile all had, like, the same outfit but different colors. De- yeah. And then this Reptile was green, and that was cool, and then he <laughs> spit that stuff and melted your face. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Okay, I just looked it up and can confirm that lizard thing was reptile. That's super ridiculous. They wasted that character. They just have him as an actual lizard thing instead of in his cool-ass green kimono thing. That's so dumb because he, like, flew around and shit. <laughs> and it didn't even look like a reptile. It looked like it looked like a dragon, I guess, but that's yeah. a reptile, but I don't... I'm just saying, it says his assassin, they call him Sizoth, yeah. but then when I go to his Wikipedia page, it says reptile. Well, that's stupid, because I always think of him as being more snake-like. Yeah. This movie makes moves, Jessica. I'm sorry to bum you out <laughs> that they wasted reptile. Yeah, so now he's not even going to be cool in other movies. Nah. <laughs> Also, something else that really amused me in this movie is whenever Scorpion's doing his thing, and he's Japanese, and he speaks Japanese, but then his move or whatever, he's he's like, come here, or he says, get, get over, over here, here. Yeah. whichever ones, because he says both yeah. in the game, so whichever one he says in the movie, I don't remember. I just find it very funny that he only spoke Japanese, but then suddenly he's like, get over here, and he says that. <laughs> I know it's just yeah. to be like, ha ha, yay, yeah. but that's pretty funny. That reminds me me of a criticism I have about the movie before I get to some of my favorite characters. Okay, I love fan service as much as the next person, but they really leaned in heavily on this, and it became a bit much of just like, okay, we get it. Just the way that they would deliver some lines of just like, fatality or something, like finish him, and it's just like, okay. Like, just, they would really lean into it, or like, flawless victory. I think that was more, one of the more egregious ones. I'm just like, okay. Yeah, that's like with the scorpion thing this dude only knows japanese and then suddenly he just knows that but they had to do it because that's what he says that's his catchphrase yeah 
they just need to tone that down significantly for any sequels. But you were mentioning the different colors of like the different assassins. As we discussed earlier, I'm an aesthetically driven person mm-hmm. and I often like the wackest people in games. My favorite overall is Sub-Zero, which isn't a whack choice because he's awesome. Mm-hmm. But I thought he looked cooler than Scorpion. But I do like Scorpion just because they each have their cool moves and like powers. But my whack choice for characters that I love in Mortal Kombat. I really like the robot character Sector, mm-hmm. the red one. I knew you were going to say that because red. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Cyrax, the yellow one, he's pretty cool, but Sector, <laughs> that's where it was at. Because yeah. I was like, he's so cool, he's red, and he's a robot, so I would always pick him in games, and he's just dope. And then I already mentioned that I liked Kung Lao because... His hat's a saw, so <laughs> that's boss as hell. Yeah. And then who can I help but love Baraka? I knew you were going to say that, and I was thinking that's one that I forgot to mention. Yeah, because... He's freaky as hell, but he was cool. <laughs> yeah, and just like his little blades that come out, and yeah, he's wild. Mm-hmm. And if I saw a Baraka in real life, <laughs> I would shit my pants. Yeah. <laughs> Those are my top characters. You said you liked Liu Kang. He's fine, but I never really cared about him, but... The fire thing was cool. Yeah. (laughs) And the bicycle kick. (laughs) Sonya, Johnny Cage, all you like more human people, get out of here. I don't care. Yeah. We don't need you in here. (laughs) I just never understood why they're there because I was just like, you people will die like literally within seconds. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why are you in this tournament? (laughs) I remember playing as Sonya in the past and her like getting at her gun and just shooting. And I'm just like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) What is this going to (laughs) do? That dude's over there is acid. What do you expect? (laughs) These people shoot fire from their hands, lady. (laughs) I'm just drawn to more of the characters that cannot exist in the natural world Mm -hmm. because that's the fun of Mortal Kombat. And I get like the kind of calming effect of Mortal Kombat of just like being lulled into it. Just like, man, this is so cool. Just like it's simple. It's two characters fighting. They Mm -hmm. do awesome things. And the violence isn't really corrupting us because you're getting to like vicariously just live through that. And then you're just like, all right, I'm just going to go like be an accountant or whatever. Like you decide to do in your life. Be an accountant. Yeah. You know. (laughs) I'm going to crunch those numbers. (laughs) Yeah. Mortal Kombat is like one of the only video games where not only like the images, but the sounds are a memory. Mm -hmm. The music and then the sounds that the characters make and then the narrator. Scorpion has a specific sound, like whenever he's hitting people and then whenever he gets hit and it's like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) it's so visceral. Yeah. Speaking of sounds, this is more so the movie and you kind of mentioned it, but the fact that we only get one Mortal Kombat deep into the credits really bummed me out because that's the best part of the original movie it's just like that dope ass electronic house music song (laughs) yeah like that everyone loves even if they haven't seen the movie they probably know the song and they'll jam to it yeah i know the song and i never saw the movie (laughs) yeah i know they were trying to make this more like cinematic and like epic but throw the song in here you know the fans want to hear it it would have got people pumped yeah during the fight scene 
but then it's more so it should be played during the tournament, but then there was no tournament. <laughs> I would have been happy if it was just over the beginning titles, just normal. Just they flash the title, give me that song for like 30 seconds, and then just go into his origin story. I don't care. They could have played it in the background at the gym that he, Cole, was fighting at. Yeah. Just kind of softly in the background. Yeah. If they're going to do so much fan service, give us that fan service. That's what we want. I'm a fan and I want to be serviced. <laughs> Jessica, hit me with that rating system. My rating system is flawless victories. Ooh. I will give this movie two and a half flawless victories out of five. What is your rating system? I'm going to have to go with Frozen Families since there is more than one Frozen Family. <laughs> in this movie. I mean, I hate that we just agree most of the time, but yeah, I, I would have two and a half members of my family frozen. for the, So someone's just going to have a cold torso. <laughs> I mean, I thought about giving it two, but then I was like, maybe that's too harsh. <laughs> yeah, it's right in the middle for me. It's just like, yeah, this is fine. I wish it'd been better, but yeah, what you can do. Yeah. If you want to see how you feel about this, it is currently available on 4K, Blu-ray, or on digital as of this recording. And I'm sure it'll be on HBO Max in like a month or two. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next time when we'll be discussing Four Good Days starring Glenn Close and Mila Kunis and 2005's The Squid and the Whale from director Noah Baumbach, plus a wild card that you'll have to wait to hear about. For those who want to prepare at home, Four Good Days is currently available on Hulu and Canopy, and The Squid and the Whale is available on Netflix and Amazon Prime. If you have any thoughts or opinions about the movies we discussed today or movie suggestions, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at home dance pod if you enjoyed the show feel free to leave a rating or review it helps us out if you didn't like it don't even worry about it you don't have to do it but what is there not to like it was flawless mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you did enjoy this you should follow me on twitter at dylan gonzalez too but you can also find me publishing reviews almost daily at geekvibesnation.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jessica Narrates. You can also find me contributing to geekvibesnation.com. We are proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll, who can be found at musicbyandrewcarroll.com. Original artwork for the show is provided by Ben Belcher, who can be found on Instagram at the Art of Ben Belcher. I've been Jessica. And I've been Dylan. Elsa from Frozen. She's gotta let it go. Round one fight. Finish it. Okay, up, down, left, block. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Fatality.